I'm curious, as it's Black History Month, who do you think of when you think of black history? Go ahead. First image in your mind is good enough. Who did you think of? Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., Harriet Tubman, W.E.B. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, Coretta Scott King, Frederick Douglass, Malcolm X. If you picked one of those names or any well-known name, you're, you're not alone. But maybe it was a contemporary black author, actor, celebrity, activist, or otherwise. Or maybe, just maybe, it's even closer to home than that. Did you imagine a mother, a grandmother, a father, an in-law, a child, yourself? History that feels distant is one thing to observe and think about, but when history is right in the heart, there is no escaping the emotional weight, of which there very likely is great joy, but it's weight nonetheless. If you thought of one of the the big names of black history. Did you feel near to it? Did you feel close to it? It might seem like an odd thing to ask. We can't feel such deep connections with all parts of history, uh, whether it's our own or someone else's. And even when someone near to us pops into our mind's eye or even an event, often the assaults of time prevent having an intimate encounter with that history. For example, looking at the history of my own Irish ancestors, I never really felt any real connection to that story until I saw the immigration papers from Ellis Island for my great-grandfather. He came here alone, absolutely alone, a tailor by trade, something I never knew about him, and from New York somehow ended up uh, in Chicago and putting down roots like so many Irish of the time. That this isn't anything revelatory, nor is this suddenly about Irish history. What this is about is allowing ourselves to get close, to look at human details for human beings lived our history. And while it's a worthy exercise to examine uh, your own stories, to allow it to impact you, to move in and confront the dreams and lives of ancestors who've come before you, for most of us, we need to realize that this is Black History Month. And so for now, I leave Galway Bay behind. I wonder, I really do, how we, and when I say we, I mean America, how could we get to a place where Black history is all of our history? Where those struggles and triumphs, all of the human details, transform the way we live our lives. I think the only way to start this is with a story, a story of human details, scraps of history discovered years later. And this story begins with a name, Bayard Rustin. In recent years, he's moved beyond just being a footnote in black history and the history of the civil rights movement. And instead, uh, he's being granted affirmation for his life's work. Bayard Rustin was born in 1912 in Westchester, Pennsylvania. He was raised by a Quaker mother and from a very early age was educated in Quaker principles, uh, some of which are pacifism, uh, the equality of all before God and centering love and respect in all dealings, whether it's uh, activism, our jobs, or our personal lives. Now, the point here is that when religious education is a true commitment that is fully supported and intentionally engaged, it's a priority. 
it can transform a child's life, even if the result is not immediately clear. In Bayard Rustin's case, his experiences in Sunday school guided him his whole life. He became a Quaker activist at a young age and he flirted with the Communist Party, but decided that his efforts would be better spent with organizations that had clear statements about desegregation, which uh, the Communist Party didn't have at the time. Instead, he moved away from those meetings and he started to work for black labor unions, ultimately conscientiously objecting to World War II and helping gather what was called the Congress on a Racial Equality, also known as CORE. And CORE was known for their pacifism, looking to the writings of Henry David Thoreau and Mohandas Gandhi, who was still alive at the time, uh, for inspiration and guidance. And so Bayard used the philosophy of nonviolent civil disobedience in his early protests. Uh, one such example is that when he was in Louisville, Kentucky, he refused to give up a seat to a white passenger on a bus in 1942, and he was ultimately arrested, beaten, and released. In 1947, he organized the first Freedom Ride through the South, founded on nonviolent resistance, traveling through uh, just a handful of states, North Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Virginia. And organizing that event um, led him to having ser to serve nearly a month on a chain gang in North Carolina doing hard labor. He spent some time in India afterwards to deepen his knowledge of nonviolent resistance, but th the saddest part is, of that is that he arrived in India two months too late for Gandhi had died uh, uh, shortly before his arrival. But he still went and he learned and he came back to the United States and uh, his past caught up with him and he was charged for dodging the draft. And so again, he spent time here in Kentucky in a federal prison and he didn't let that stop him. He led efforts to desegregate the prison while in prison. And that angered a local Kentucky judge so immensely that he ended up grabbing a mop and beating Bayard and breaking his wrist. After prison, Bayard continued his work. He confronted racism openly and resisted whenever he had the chance. And eventually he came to know a young minister by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. And now many historians look at this meeting between Bayard and King and they see this as sort of a, a, a lightning rod moment where King found his commitment to nonviolent civil disobedience and pacifism. And this allowed Bayard to enter into the civil rights movement more intentionally and he would eventually go on to organize the March on Washington. So all of this and so much more, when we hear this, the life of Bayard Rustin, it begs the question, why don't we hear his name more often? Why don't we celebrate his life? It comes down to a very sad reality. Bayard Rustin was openly gay his entire life. Even in the 40s and 50s and 60s and beyond, he was openly gay in a time when it was not safe to be gay and was arrested on charges of immorality. Often, the strongest attacks against Bayard's character came from within the leadership of the civil rights movement. And yet, despite this, Bayard Rustin and Dr. King were amazing friends. And even so, even then, what is still hard to reconcile here is that Bayard was pushed to be behind the scenes. He didn't have a choice in the matter. If it was known that an openly gay draft dodger who went to communist meetings when he was younger was helping organize and lead the civil rights movement, 
That was seen by many of the, many of the leaders in the civil rights movement as a disastrous pu uh, publicity nightmare. And so there are stories of Bayard Rustin being snuck in and out of Montgomery, Selma, and elsewhere in the trunk of a car to meet with King because the fear of his sexuality and politics was that intense. And even then, that didn't stop him. He stayed committed. He debated Malcolm X on television, declaring when Malcolm X challenged him that he knew that progress was incremental, but it was transformative, and that nonviolent civil disobedience was winning the day. It was winning hearts and minds, too. And so for the rest of his life, up until his death in 1987, he remained committed to the causes of justice nonviolently. And it is a life to celebrate and to be joyful about. For Rustin never forgot the joy of the work, despite the hardship. He never forgot the joy of living authentically as an out gay man in a dangerous time, because he knew that too would change hearts and minds. The invitation for us in the story is to allow ourselves to let it become a part of our narrative. Not in the way that we would be appropriating this story. This is not an encouragement to wear someone else's history or to subsume it. Instead, this is an invitation to not let this be the only month and only time we remember Bayard Rustin. There's often a frenzy, mostly amongst uh, progressive people, to ensure that Black History Month is checked off the list in just the right way. But allowing stories like Bayard Rustin's to inform our narrative, to impact us, and to change us, means journeying with Bayard, his life, his dreams, and his legacy beyond February, beyond a single moment. One of the great lies we encounter in our culture is that uh, there is white history over here and there is black history over here and never the twain shall meet and we will carve out specific times where only we can talk about those things. But ultimately we have an American history, a history of colonialism and slavery, of democracy, war, peace, prosperity, inequality, turmoil, unrest, civil war, and sometimes triumph and unity. And in the mix that it is indigenous history, it is black gay, white, Latinx history. It's history of women, history of children, history of Bayard Rustin, and so many names left out of the textbooks. And that world, that world where who we are as a nation is a mass of intertwined histories, feels like it's just out of reach all the time. And knowing that the work before us is to bring in voices from the margins, like, like, like the voices from black history, to bring in those margins and to realize that it is a work in progress, that it will be done imperfectly, but for now, we cannot let that just out of reach hope obscure the work required. And so for us right now, we remember. We allow ourselves to be impacted and in turn, we will impact others. Bayard Rustin was not the only one who worked tirelessly behind the scenes. There are thousands of people throughout black history who've stayed in the fight. The challenge for you, for us, for all of us, is to learn their names, to tell their stories, to know what love looks like when it is expressed with action and indelible hope, to find joy even amidst great hardship and turmoil in the lives that we remember. 
And that last piece is so important. In a largely white denomination such as Unitarian Universalism, we need to stop robbing black history of its joy and celebration. This is not a month to only be dour. This is a month to celebrate black lives. And so why shouldn't we celebrate the life of Claudette Colvin, who, little known fact, was the first to be arrested for refusing to give up her seat to a white person on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama? Rosa Parks wasn't the first, but she was the public face. And Claudette was told not to do it because, as the leadership said, she was too feisty. But she did it anyway, with absolutely no regrets. Why shouldn't we celebrate the life of Ella Baker, who many historians say is the very reason there ever was a civil rights movement? She was a great mobilizer of the masses, of everyone supporting and shaping the movement, and she was fiercely critical of having one face be the poster child for any movement. And she said of charismatic leadership, strong people don't need strong leaders. And so why shouldn't we also celebrate the love and hope of Polly Murray, the, the poet that we heard earlier? She too was amongst the first arrested for sitting in a whites-only section on a bus in Virginia. She was also the first black woman to be ordained an Episcopal priest, and she was open with her struggles around gender identity and sexuality. And this was before there ever was a vocabulary on being genderqueer or gender non-binary. And she did this openly, again, in a dangerous time. Why shouldn't we celebrate and lift up the life of Nanny Helen Burroughs, who was told she was too dark-skinned to teach in Washington, D.C. public schools? And so upon hearing that, off she went and founded her own trade school for women and girls, while also plunging deeply into the civil rights movement as an organizer and activist. These are but a few names. Names we don't see on posters, names we don't see in textbooks, names that never wanted glory and instead worked behind the scenes. But as you can see, behind the scenes doesn't mean passive and ineffective. For these people, th these stories, these lives, they were in the thick of it living out their love and hope. And so I look at this month and I see that black history is a deep and wide well of heartbreak, struggle, oppression, and joy. And the invitation for all of us is to draw from that well with reverence. The book of Isaiah says that with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And for us in 2021, with that loaded word of salvation, for us what that means is that possibility is always available. There is always renewal awaiting us. And that renewal and possibility is in honoring, celebrating, and remembering Black history, not just in February, our shortest month, but every single day, to let it come close to our hearts, to let it exclaim stories that we will want to tell this world of ours about. Now, it should come as absolutely no surprise that I am getting all revved up and giddy about history. That's been a theme, one of many themes of my time with you as your minister. It's why we have centered intentionally, all of us, the stories and legacies of Unitarians and Universalists and others throughout history, many of them people of color or from other marginalized communities. History should not be left to gather dust. It should not be part, it should be part 
of the unfolding of our living tradition. As a religious tradition without one single holy text, we instead look to the living text, human lives that become scripture by how they loved this world. That is the power of history for us. And so we drink deep of the well. For you, for the rest of this month, it is up to all of you, all of us, to remember and to celebrate and to recommit ourselves to that diverse, multicultural, beloved community we hope for in our age principle. It all begins with a story. And where are you in its unfolding? Blessed be. Amen.